Um, Luke chapter 19. We're going to continue uh, our simple series we've been running with since the prayer weeks on, on this idea of just carrying the, the kingdom uh, promises, carrying the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 19 verse 11 is a parable uh, that Jesus tells. Let me read it to you now and then we'll, we'll try and work it out uh, over the next few minutes and we'll make some room to pray uh, and worship before we celebrate the gift day numbers. Um, so while they, the crowd uh, around Zacchaeus' house, were listening to Jesus, he went on to tell them a parable. Are you with me in Luke 19:11, Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. Minas uh, is a... a um, uh, amount of currency, it's about three, uh, one mina is about three months wages. So 10 minas, about 30 months wages, if my math is right. It's a lot of money. Uh, he gave each of his servants about 30 months wages. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they'd gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money on deposit, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And then he said to those standing by, take his mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that every, to everyone who has, more will be given but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Wow, Lord Jesus, we uh, just ask for your help now by your spirit in these next few minutes in unpacking this parable and in applying it to our lives that we might be those servants of yours that carry the kingdom. Help us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, Jesus is telling this story. He's probably at Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, in the previous verses, has literally just got born again. And the crowds and the friends of Zacchaeus, those that have worked with him, are listening in amazement to the things that Jesus is telling them. If you read back in the story, Zacchaeus is a, he's a Jewish tax collector and he's hated. He collaborates with the Roman regime. He's in league with the puppet Jewish king, one of the Herods. They were in the Romans' pockets and all the kind of ruling, leading families, some of the Sanhedrin and certainly the tax collectors like Zacchaeus. They were all in it together. They were basically creaming off their own people and living off them in wealth but hated by the Jews and probably despised by the Romans as well. Jesus is coming near to Jerusalem. It's the capital city. It's, it was then and is now the place where so many of these tensions uh, rise up. And they see in Jesus a, a new kingdom. Perhaps a new king is in town. Maybe a new ruler who's going to overthrow the Romans. Well, yeah, maybe. Those poor old Romans. Hey, what did they ever do for us? Um, 
I'm not going there. I'm not going to get distracted. And, and they got some things right as they looked at Jesus. They, but they were expecting a, a physical kingdom. They were expecting an overthrow, a, a political outworking. And so Jesus, through the scriptures, he's continually telling these parables, these stories to explain, no, no, if you've got eyes to see, this is what my kingdom really looks like. Uh, he tells them a story they can understand uh, with a couple of levels in it. Uh, and a story always, he's so good in his stories, he tells them a story that they can see themselves in. It's full of political undertones for the Jews of his day, but really it's causing them to face up to Jesus, who Jesus is and who Jesus isn't. Now, I'm, oh yeah, I'm going to need eight, eight people quickly, eight volunteers. Uh, Josh, you're so amazing at uh, helping with our kind of dramatic stuff recently. Can you, can you just find me uh, seven other people? Um, it's not going to be embarrassing, don't worry. Jude, you've been tapped on the shoulder. Well done. Oh, it's so unfair. Thank you, Josh. Let's give him a round. As Josh uh, gathers like a good shepherd gathering sheep, let's give him a round of applause. Um, can you come down here, guys? That was half-hearted applause. You're slightly nervous. Um, okay, so um, well done, Richard Bailey. Well done. Thank you. How many are we up to? Have we got eight? With Ra- oh, well, Rachel, thank you so much. Um, well done. And you, you've got the shoes for it, Rachel, as well today. Um, okay, yeah, I know just the task for you. Um, okay, so um, in the story Jesus told, there, there are probably a couple of levels, but the way in which the people would have understood the story he told is that, oh yeah, we know that we're going to be booing like pantomime villains when, um, when Jesus speaks about this guy who goes, of noble birth, who goes to a, a far-off country to have himself proclaimed king. They, they know there. They see Herod in that story. So I need a, a Mark, are you happy to be Herod um, this morning? Um, so can you come and stand over, over here, please? Thank you very much. You are Herod. Um, actually, Matt, why are you there? Can you just take this with you? You're going to need some of that money. There you go. You get lots of money. Well done. You're glad you volunteered now, aren't you? And um, Herod is the one who, just stay where you are over there for a minute, Herod. Hold your horses. Um, he's, the, he's the one who went off. He, Herod actually went to Rome. Um, he went to the, the fearsome Roman regime, um, and uh, he went to get himself proclaimed king. Uh, and um, in this story, while Herod is away, he leaves his servants to invest money to take tar- charge of his affairs. The people that are listening, they understand this picture. There's, there's, there's the, the, they see themselves in the story. What they don't recognize is that Jesus is speaking about himself in this parable. They, what they don't realize, most of them, is that he's about to go away. He's about to die for their sins. He's about to rise. Uh, he's about to return to his father and leave his disciples full of the Holy Spirit, not with three months wages, but with the Holy Spirit to carry out his business. He's leaving them a deposit. One day he's going to return as king. This they don't understand right now as they tell the story. Okay, we need a, a Caesar. Um, Richard Bailey, will you be Caesar in Rome, please? Um, you get to you get to hold this. You can stand right in the corner of the stage there, I think, on the high point, because you're Caesar. You're king of all, all the world. Yeah, I, it's mime. So, uh, um, so, but if it helps you to imagine using your big voice, that's lovely. Yeah, that's good. So, um, and I need, we, in the story, there are 10 servants. I'll just take, take three. So, uh, that's uh, one, two, three. There we are. You can be the servants. So, can you go over to Herod, please? Um, you represent the 10 servants. Well done. And... Uh, so, um, Herod, can you give them uh, some minas uh, or Monopoly money? Um, don't give them too much because you've got to give them, you know, times 10 and all that in a, in a few minutes. Don't spend it all at once. Uh, 
boys and girls. Okay, and uh, Herod, now you're going to instruct them. Will you stay here and just start some businesses, invest the money, okay? Uh, stock exchange, blah, 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 all of that. Um, okay, well done. And Herod, you're going to go on the long journey to a far-off country to visit Caesar and to see if you can get yourself, you can go right round if you want. Yeah, it's a long way to Rome from Jerusalem. See if you can get yourself crowned king. Um, well done. So now while that's going on, don't go too fast. There's a delegation of, of the Jews, and uh, they really don't like the idea of Herod being proclaimed king. Uh, and again, this actually happened. The Jews sent a delegation uh, after one of the Herods to Rome to complain about him. Uh, again, the crowds recognize themselves in this story. Even Jesus' disciples recognize themselves in this story. You've got Judas, uh, who was a collaborator with the regime, and you've got Simon the Zealot. How do you think he got that name? Because he's one of Jesus' disciples, who if he met a Roman in the dark alley would likely slit his throat or garrote him. You've got both of those in Jesus' discipleship small group. That's quite exciting. So, guys, you've got to run around. You're a delegation. You're trying to cut off Herod before he gets to Caesar. So can you be a Jewish delegation that don't want Herod crown king? Yeah, look angry. Um, and uh, Herod, you're on your way to Caesar. Um, yeah, go around. Go around. Go the proper way. You can't cut corners. Um, Herod's still going. It's not complicated. Um, well done, Herod, keep coming. And you can get to Caesar just as they arrive with you. You're giving out money as you go, giving out favors. Yeah, like a good politician. Yeah, 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 we know how that works. So anyway, this is going really well, isn't it? It's not how I imagined it this morning. So uh, come and see Caesar. You're Herod. You're wanting to proclaim yourself king. Uh, and um, and the, the Jews here are saying, hey, we don't want him king. Uh, go on, you can say, we, yeah, that's outstanding acting. We don't want him king. But Caesar's probably been bribed a little bit as well, and he wants a quiet life. So Caesar gives Herod a crown. Uh, sorry, Caesar. Um, you're so mighty, you don't even need a crown. <laughs> and Caesar goes, uh, and Caesar sends Herod back to Jerusalem to rule as his puppet master, and the delegation go back behind him looking glum. Okay, well done. That's how it matters. Now, I suggest just for the purposes of time, you know in the movies where they go, ooh, and five years later. So why don't you appear back with your servants? Well done. And you can appear looking glum over there as well. Yeah, we'll go to that side. Um, you're going to milk it for applause in a minute. We're almost there. If anyone's still with us, this is in Luke 19, apparently. Um, so, and then, uh, of course, then, come forward with your servants, please. So now, servants, uh, who's the first servant who's saying, hey, master, you gave me one mina. Here are ten back. Uh, who's, who's the first servant? Okay, Jude, you're on it, man. So you're going to get 10 back. You're going to get to rule 10 cities. So just thank you very much. Well done. Who's next? Are you, are you next? Okay, so you, you get five back. Five cities. Well done. Now, um, I, I haven't got a handkerchief. You're supposed to have it. It's kind of hidden it in a handkerchief. Um, so just, just uh, Malcolm's got a hanky. Herod's always got a hanky. Oh, okay. Just hide your money in, in, in Herod's hanky. The hanky of Herod. Uh, that's two Sundays running. We've had handkerchiefs in the sermon. How about that? If you weren't here last week, listen again. Okay, and now you can present your, I'm giving you back what you gave me, Master. But I knew you were cruel and nasty. That is it. And so, uh, and what happens with him? You, uh, well done. You get a hanky as well. How about that? And you're booted out. We, we won't enact the last part where everyone's brought before you and, and killed. So thank you so much for... I, I'm sure now this parable will live in the memory. So why don't we just give our actors a round of applause and Caesar as well. Thank you so much. If you can give the Monopoly money to Jude, it's out of his ball game. Uh, and I'll be the one that gets the blame next time we play Monopoly and there's no money there. So these parables that Jesus tells us, you're amazing guys, thank you. They have all kinds of meanings hidden in them. 
not meaners, meanings, but they are stories primarily to teach us some simple principles about the, the kingdom. And I think there are two simple principles that we'll just unpack for a few minutes this morning. Number one, the first one, and let's not miss this. I recognize most people here in the room today are probably already followers of Jesus. But just in case you're not or you're not sure, it really matters how you respond to the true king in the story, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the story, it is the king in the story that it points to, but is never explicitly mentioned. Jesus is the king who is going to go away and die and come back one day uh, to his people to see, are there some who are serving me, who've invested their lives for me? And maybe just for one or two today, the, the only application for you from this passage is, how do I respond to this king, Jesus? Uh, your response then is, I need to follow Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you uh, about that in a few minutes' time, if that's you this morning. And then perhaps for the majority here, verse 26 is our kingdom principle, where the ruler says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. It's quite a shocking phrase. What the king is saying, what Jesus is saying in terms of a kingdom parallel, is that something has been given to each one of us. We get an opportunity to invest what Jesus has put into us to increase our measure, to increase our readiness to carry even greater authority on behalf of the king. Right through the, the kingdom parallels and stories, we find from the things that Jesus says about the kingdom it, uh, that the kingdom is not as immediate, as obvious, and as, uh, as immediately obvious and powerful as you think. The parables teach time after time the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is not some heavy, oppressive Roman type rule. It starts small, it starts hidden, but it will grow until everyone and everything comes under the kingship uh, of Jesus Christ, the returning king. Matthew 13, 11, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny seed. If I held one now, you wouldn't see it, yet it becomes the greatest tree that the birds of the air will nest in. Or Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a mount of yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. This is what the kingdom is like. And everyone who has, more will be given. Everyone who carries the kingdom and, and, and exercises it, more will be given. And to the one who, who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. I find it really interesting in this story. I, I, I've always, you kind of assume, oh, the, the guys who have invested and, and he says, well done, uh, you servants, that they'll get some kind of financial reward or some kind of wealth or rest. But actually, the king gives them an opportunity to steward even more responsibility on his behalf. Isn't that amazing? It's like Joseph in the Old Testament stories. He does well uh, for the ruler, and so he's invested with more responsibility. That's a principle in the kingdom of, uh, of God. When you serve Jesus with the little that you have, even if you're praying for someone with one eye open, wondering, uh, am I really the, the man or woman for the job here? Jesus says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. It's no surprise now, Nick, that in the coming weeks, you're going to get to pray for more people and, and, and greater issues in people's lives. Be because you're being entrusted now with a, with a city, as it were, when you were just started with Amina. That's how it works in the kingdom principles, if that makes sense. And so the, the, we're at a point as a church where we're asking God for more opportunities to serve 
Jesus in our town than ever before. Jesus is looking for kingdom men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who will be responsible in small things and will be given cities to take kingdom responsibility for. We're saying, God, may we steward what we have in order that we might have some responsibility for the town of Crawley and the thousands and thousands of people who live here. Like these servants in the story, can we steward the promises of the kingdom in our lives? Can we see them grow? Can we grow a measure of kingdom life which out of ordinary people like us impacts the whole town? With Man, we're just talking about it and praying about it all the time. We've got these kingdom ideas and goals which are so far beyond us. The, the seeing people saved and added and baptized, seeing an increase in healing miracles, seeing an increase in generosity, acts of mercy and kindness. And we see the bar up there. Uh, but what we recognize is that God has given each of us a deposit of some measure in each of these areas, uh, in his call on our lives. What he says to us through this parable is, how do we invest into the kingdom in order that what currently seems such a huge return becomes normal for us so that we then carry everyday kingdom influence in our everyday lives. You, you follow me so far? Okay, so I need to get the actors back with that help. <laughs> So this passage, I've preached it before, and I've preached it specifically on giving and finance. We often use these parables, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, a similar story Jesus tells. We often use it regarding financial giving. That's a perfectly fine application, and indeed our giving is about, it's very kingdom. It's about our discipleship. Uh, but I, I, I think that like stewarding our finances, stewarding the call and the gifts of the kingdom in order that the batch of kingdom yeast grows in the same way that we do with financial stewardship. It requires discipline, practice, intentional behavior, focus. Let's just look for a minute at our financial stewardship. Let's use it as a, a parallel, if you like. This is how we kind of teach it in a nutshell, how I try to apply it in my life as a disciple. It's, it's kind of what we played out this morning and last Sunday in our, our gift days or every week as we give through bank accounts or in the offering or however it is as a part of our worship. So my start point is I recognize, God, every penny I have has come from you. Um, all my finance, all my wealth <laughs> has come from you, Lord, um, with whatever measure you've blessed me. And I'm going to be content in that. I'm not going to live like the world where I'm constantly striving for, for what the person next door has, the next level, the next thing. I'm content in the measure you've given me, Lord. That's my start point. And secondly, I'm saying because you've blessed me, because you've given me a measure with the measure I have, how can I invest that back into your kingdom by putting Jesus first? At the start of this year, we don't do it perfectly at all, but Kaz and I prayed as we often do, God, this year, what can we have the privilege of giving out of the measure that you've blessed us with? What does it look like for us through this year? And then we look at our regular giving, the stuff that goes out monthly. We've been looking at for the last 18 months, two years for about these gift dates. And then if we're courageous enough, we're saying, oh, Lord, I guess there are going to be other people through the year, other situations where you just catch our heart with your compassion and say, I just want you to bless that person or meet that need or, or, or give something into that situation uh, to express my kindness. It's kind of a kingdom lens that we wear in front of our, our giving glasses. Did you know you have giving glasses? Uh, and so from that, with, with that lens in mind, 
um, we're diligent, we're cheerful, we want to excel in it for, to please God, we want to keep going, we're going to trust Jesus, even when it seems like, oh God, it's not going to be possible, there are, the, the washing machine's broken the week before the gift day, all that kind of stuff that always happens, but we say, no God, we've, we've put you first, we've made this decision before you in faith, and so even before other priorities, we're going to press through and, and, until we see what you spoke to us and what you put in our hearts in the first place. It, that's how it is in financial stewardship. It's the same, I think, in, our, in the formation of, of our prayer life or our, our Bible reading, our spiritual formation. Again, we start at a point where we say, Lord Jesus, I want to, out of faith and obedience, I want to put you first in this area of my life. How can I put you first? Well, I'm going to set the alarm for tomorrow morning, even though there's storms and it's, it's dark. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get to a, somewhere in the house or somewhere in my office or somewhere in the town where I can just be quiet for a few minutes. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. And when I don't, when I blow it, hey, I'm going to get up the next day and go again. And I'm going to get with others who can help me. And I'm, I'm going to prioritize some of the prayer gatherings. I'm going to come weekly to Sunday worship. I'm going to get myself in a small group for discipleship. And, and, and so a pattern for the disciple is made. And, and hey, by the way, the pattern doesn't guarantee we make disciples. That actually requires heart change in us. But the pattern can help where the heart is willing. That's how it is in financial stewardship. It's very intentional. In, in spiritual formation, it's very intentional. What about stewarding the gifts and the call of the kingdom? I think it's the same principle. That's what we're saying. How do we get to the place where we see great power? where we see the gospel bearing more fruit than we've seen before, where we see regular healing miracles, where we see disciples going through baptism, where we see growing, multiplied acts of mercy, acts of kindness, generosity, churches planted regularly, leaders coming through. I, I think this passage teaches us it's the same way as every other kind of spiritual formation and discipleship. It starts by recognizing the measure we have received and then we pray and we invest that measure and we use it in order to steward an increase of responsibility. Can I hear an amen, please? This parable teaches us what we don't do. Who was it? You had the, you had the hanky of Herod, didn't you? This parable teaches us we do not just keep what we have as disciples of Jesus. If you think you can just keep what you have, it's a law of diminishing returns. That's not a kingdom principle. This is not a year. God's got our attention with the prophetic. This is not a year for us to not do anything useful with the gifts and the opportunities and the resources God has given us for his kingdom. It's a year to invest. We don't have a safety first mentality. The, uh, the servant in the story with the hanky of Herod, he operated out of fear. He was frightened of the master. Um, he wanted to avoid failure. Uh, in a culture of fear, that's how we behave. We, we, we just uh, try and make do with what we have and hope for the best. The, the, this description of the harsh king in the story is not a description of who Jesus is. If you read back through the previous stories or on to the next ones, you find Jesus with Zacchaeus. Well, he's abundant. He's welcoming. He's kind. He's generous. He's a friend of sinners. He's full of grace and mercy. Later on in the Gospels, he's about to lay down his life for his friends and his enemies. He's not a harsh king in that sense. So if, if we're hiding what we have from God through fear of getting it wrong, even through fear of his displeasure in some way, I don't do enough. I, I won't be able to give back to him what he's given me. If that's how we're responding in this year of 2020 kingdom goals, then my concern is we don't really know the true King Jesus. That's not who he is. That's not who we are either, actually. Um, in our foundations group uh, this week, in fact, I've got 
two or three other little groups going on where we're at the same point at the same time. It's nice when that happens. We've been looking at what it means to be sons and daughters of the Father, what it means to be in our identity, in his family, uh, that we get to advance these family treasures with faith and with joy, uh, uh, with all that's been entrusted to us. In that kind of family relationship, there's no fear of failure. Um, there's, uh, there's instead the encouragement of a loving and kind father who's cheering you on from the sidelines. In fact, he's not cheering you on from the sidelines. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and help us. Let's get that right. So we're learning to steward the measure we have until it becomes our normal kind of inheritance. And we're learning that not as servants in the parable, but as children of God, as co-heirs with Christ. I think we're learning it not just for 2020, but we're learning it for a lifetime, because that's how disciples are supposed to live. Quickly, before we uh, worship and respond, let me give you five brief principles of good kingdom stewardship that we can learn this year and for a lifetime. If you make notes, write them down here. These are worth having and taking away. Number one, good king, kingdom stewardship rejoices in what we do have. Can I say do, please? Can you say do not, please? Well done. Okay. We rejoice in what we do have, even though it may not look like much. Again, Nick bravely shared her story from Friday night. She's looking around thinking, can someone help me here? I don't even know how to pray for a sick person. But she had something and she invested it for the kingdom of God. So often we despise our small beginnings. I was so glad last Sunday we celebrated, perhaps over the top with enthusiasm, the story of our first healing miracle outside of the church here in Crawley. Uh, we celebrated that last week. Uh, why do we celebrate? Because we're looking with kingdom eyes. We're, we're, we're saying, God, we're going to celebrate it um, because we're recognizing what we have got from you, not what we don't yet have. We're not saying, oh yeah, but there's another 1,500 we haven't seen healed yet. No, we're saying, God, thank you for the one. Now give us another one as we invest in faith in what you're pouring into us. Where's the next one? We're looking for signs of kingdom momentum. We often will talk about Elijah who prophesied an abundance of rain uh, after a period of drought and he looked in a clear blue sky and he saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. It was enough for him to tuck in his cloak and run down the mountain because the rains are coming. Uh, when we, I, I was in a race yesterday with Kaz and June. When we finished the race, it was blue sky. It was like a beautiful spring morning. Who would have said that we'd be awoken at four in the morning by windows banging and doors blowing and, uh, and this kind of stormy weather? Things change so quickly in the kingdom. We look at what we do have. A kingdom mindset doesn't say, I, I think, uh, was it Amaka looked at this the other week, four months more. Was that you? And then the harvest? Or was that Hannah? I don't know. One of us looked at it the other, the other week. It doesn't say that. It recognizes there's an everyday harvest for all of us. We look at what God is giving now rather than what we don't yet have. This kingdom parable teaches us, if I use what little God has given me, I will have more to use. Um, if we focus on what we don't have and what we can't do, we never get this party started. Good kingdom stewardship rejoices in what we do have. Amen. Number two, good kingdom stewardship raises the bar in risk. Uh, Amy Stevens, Kaz Alliston, can you just grab that, please? You'll have to do it sideways because it's too bendy, that tape measure, to go the full way. Can you pull that out, please? Two meters, 45. Or if you're in old money, or maybe it's new money now, post-Brexit, uh, eight foot and a quarter. Um, two meters, 45. That's way more than that. Oh, no, it's not. There we go. Okay. That, that's a long way. 
it looks longer going upwards. Why am I asking him to hold 2 meters 45 out? Um, that is Javier Sotomayor's record. Do you know who Javier Sotomayor is? High jump. Yeah, it's the longest standing uh, men's uh, world record um, set in, in 1993. You get a better idea there. He's, he's jumping over a bar uh, over that height. Um, there we go. Set in 1993. Uh, you can sit down now, ladies. Thank you. Well done. That illustration wasn't my greatest one, but I'm, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to, to work it out. The tape measure's going away. Do you know, Javier Sotomayor, the Cuban, at age 10, was afraid of heights. Um, but he took that risk in mind. And by age 14, he was already close to breaking adult records. I, I was just trying to imagine this week what it's like day after day, year after year, working out in order to chase the high jump world record. Every morning, early mornings, while it's still dark, weights, gym work, coaching, running, all the technical drills, all the, the specifics of the run-up, the approach to the bar, the jump, even the landing, so, so technical. Uh, the sweat, the pain, the fear, the discipline from his coach when he got it wrong, day after day after day until you become the master of the high jump. Sotomayor's coach famously said, before you train the athlete, you have to train the man. That should be said in a Kung Fu Panda voice, shouldn't it really? That's just a great line. Before you train the athlete, you have to train the man. And we, we can focus on all our kingdom goals this year, but God wants to train the hearts of us as men and women here in this community. He's inviting us beyond the comfortable, beyond just the goal, to inhabit places we're currently afraid of, to build our home where we don't yet feel at home. I think we were saying before Christmas of the Abraham story when we were preaching out of Hebrews 11. Abraham went to live in a land where he felt like he was a stranger. That's what it's like for us with these 2020 kingdom goals. That's what it was like for Sotomayor, jumping a bar daily in practice that just a short time before would have seemed like an impossible risk for him. I think that's where the numbers for the 2020 stuff, the number of baptisms or the amount we want to give away, they, they can be helpful because they force me into a daily change that brings risk in my life. Um, I was um, out at a, a football club where I'm the, the chaplain this week and I, I prayed for a lady uh, who I don't really know very well. She's not a believer and uh, she walked past me limping. She has arthritis in her feet. She's a lovely lady called Annie. I, I was just reflecting as I came home having just shared a little bit about Jesus with her and having prayed with her for her healing in the name of Jesus and just reflecting that in November or December I probably would have said to Annie when she told me about her arthritic feet, oh Annie, I'm really sorry to hear about that. In fact, if I've been feeling a bit bolder, I might have said, oh, Annie, I'll make sure we pray for you. All that is fine. They're both good and helpful expressions. But because of the high bar of risk, there's something in my spirit right now that won't let me settle. And so I found myself saying, thinking, what are you saying? Annie, you know I'm a Christian, right? We've had some healing stories recently. I told her about the lady we celebrated last week. Can I pray for you right now? Annie said yes. As I prayed, she began to cry. She encountered something of the beautiful presence of Jesus. Good kingdom stewardship raises the bar in risk. Thirdly, good kingdom stewardship overcomes fear. When the kingdom's released through us, there will always be a fear moment where your brain begins to tell you all the reasons why you should not and why you cannot. Here are the things that go through my head most times. You're going to look stupid. You're a fool. You'll get it wrong. It won't work. You'll ruin your reputation, whatever reputation you have anyway, wearing shirts like that. You'll do more harm than good. Most of that inner fear reflects more on my own insecurity, my own need to be liked, to please people 
people, to keep people happy. Sometimes, like in the story, it reflects a wrong fear of God. Sometimes, even for Christians, it's a fear of Satan and the enemy. Listen, fear in the right place is a good thing. Fight or flight in that moment, uh, that instinctive survival moment, run away very quickly, live to fight another day, uh, or stand and fight. Um, what you're not supposed to do is live long term in a climate of fight or flight. That's really bad for you. You end up with um, all the symptoms flooding through your body of too much adrenaline and you burn out. Or you hide away in a hole or hide what you have in Herod's handkerchief and decide never to stick your head above the parapet again. It's a safety first mentality. Disciples of Jesus, fear is a weapon that will constantly be used against us every day of our lives until King Jesus returns. Don't be surprised at that. Wake up and smell the coffee. Um, we don't just hide what we have and hold on to it and survive. We, we take fear and let it become a training ground for spiritual authority to grow. We push through. We take the principle of King David in the Old Testament who killed lions and bears while he looked after his father's sheep so that one day he will be entrusted with fighting a giant that is as tall as Javier Sotomayor's high jump bar. Amen. Good kingdom stewardship overcomes fear. Penultimately, before we pray, good kingdom stewardship forms new posture. It repeats the same action. It grows momentum through simple, practiced faith and obedience over and over again. A new kind of normal begins to take over. We've been talking here about a posture of prayer growing in us. How about a posture of kingdom breakthrough? I won't read the whole quote now, but uh, in John Mark Comer's excellent book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he speaks about some research uh, on the demise of the American male, but I think it's true of the, of the European male as well, where by the age of 21, the average American man has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. How about that? 10,000 hours. If you know the 10,000 hour rule, you know that in 10,000 hours, you can master most things. New Testament Greek, uh, learn a language, uh, become an Olympic high jumper, all that kind of stuff. Uh, by the age of 21, most American males have given themselves to 10,000 hours of Call of Duty. You, you could have memorized the New Testament, or you could have got to level four on Call of Duty. Who knows, hey? We want a new posture in prayer. We want to give ourselves over and over and over again. With the runners that I run with at the running club, we're all deep into spring marathon training at the moment. You're just going through drills week after week, day after day in your early morning runs, trying to pull your body into line with the desire, the rather foolish desire your brain has to run a marathon in April so that one day when you're in the day of battle your body actually does what it's been trained to do. Friends if it's true in the field of sport or even in the field of Xbox and PlayStation how much more is it true in terms of our spiritual formation? Good kingdom stewardship forms new posture. Finally good kingdom stewardship invests in prayer. You're still, still awake, still alert. Well done. I'm sorry I took a little longer this morning. I got carried away with our uh, dramatic moment Oscars are soon, aren't they? Just saying. We recognize that alongside all the things we can do, and this morning's message could be misinterpreted as, hey, if we work hard, if we're diligent, if we invest, we can make the kingdom stuff happen. 
Good Kingdom Stewardship invests in prayer. We're recognizing with humility, we cannot produce fruit in anyone's life. We can't produce the fruit. God produces the fruit. It's alone a work of God who gives any kind of increase. The moment we forget that, the moment we stop praying, the moment we stop operating off that mindset, it just beca- all this kingdom stuff becomes like a mechanical mindset. We're into self-effort. We're into targets. We're into striving. And that's not what we're into this year. That's why we're worshipping. That's why we're going to celebrate wildly in a minute uh, with what's been given in the gift days. That's why we go heavy on Thanksgiving. I love, I love your springy shoes of joy this morning. That's why we worship with joy. Because we know, God, I can't do this. It's utterly impossible. So I'm going to throw myself uh, in your hands prayerfully, looking for you to do what only you can do. Let me finish with this story. Because one of the best drills we can repeat is prayer. Uh, D.L. Moody, the famous American revivalist and evangelist, 150, 60 or so years ago now, um, when he was a young man, he felt challenged by the Lord to pray for uh, 100 of his friends and acquaintances for salvation. So he wrote a list and he began praying every single day uh, of his life for his 100 friends. Uh, He ticked them off one by one as they got born again. On the day that D.L. Moody died, 96 of the men and women on his list had given their lives to Jesus. And do you know what happened at his funeral? The other four got born again. (laughs) Prayer, prayer, prayer. I've I've just been reflecting on that this week. Uh, Why don't you stand with me as I say this? We're going to pray. Joe, can you come and help us, Amy, the guys? I want to lead more people to Jesus than I've ever done before this year. But I can't do that (laughs) through my own striving or mechanisms. I'm praying daily. Uh, we had an alarm set through the 20 days of prayer at 1.40. So I would be reminded at 1.40 to pray for the 140 that I'd love to see baptized this year. I've decided I'm just going to have that on my phone every day, even though the time of prayer is over, because I need to be reminded every day as I get on my knees at 1.40 in the afternoon, there are things that I cannot do, that only God can do. Uh, and so good kingdom stewardship invests in prayer. What about us? Six weeks into 2020, is the kingdom deposit being stewarded intentionally or are you hiding it in your hankies of fear? (laughs) Why don't you lift your hands to the Lord with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you you're a good king. We thank you that you've opened our hearts and our eyes to see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just for those, maybe two or three here that haven't yet given your lives to Jesus, don't forget that primary application. What are you going to do about this King Jesus? If you've not yet begun to follow Jesus, just as the band plays in a moment, I want you to wander down. Just come and find me so we can pray with you and help you to follow Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to turn, to follow him. For the rest of us, oh God, we say, please, we want to steward even more responsibility on behalf of the King. You're a good, loving Father. You've entrusted us. You've appointed us. You've put us in this town. We offer up to you now as our hands are stretched out what we have in our hands. God, may it multiply and grow as we give ourselves to your kingdom purposes. Lord, I do just want to speak into uh, Holy Spirit right now. Would you, would you just release us where we've compared ourselves to others who we think, oh, they've got more. They'll be far better at this than me. Lord, we just reject that now. Lord, or or even where we've looked at others who have less and we've felt a little bit judgmental and proud. God, forgive us for that. We just want to carry and steward the measure you've given us. You've called me to steward my life before you, not someone else's. Help me to do that, Lord, and so encourage others. Lord, forgive me where I think I've got nothing. Forgive us where we've hidden away because we think it's so insignificant or where we've been afraid. 
Lord, forgive us where we've had fear of failure or, or even fear of you, God. Please would you show us this morning and in these days ahead your Father's heart. Would you show us the generous love of Jesus? Would you release joy in, in living with the measure we have? Would you put that spring in our step, Lord, that you've given us gifts to grow with and invest in as sons and daughters, not as servants? So God, out of a secure place of love, would you release us to steward these gifts intentionally for the glory of Jesus? May much that is healthy grow fruitfully out of this soil here in Crawley. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.